I'm gonna let you be seated. And I know some of y'all are like, what? I know you've been standing a long time, but I just, I believe I've got a word for you today. In fact, I know I have a word for you today. How many of you are excited about hearing the word that God has for you today? Let, let, me, let me try this again. For those of you who are watching online and you're at home, I want you to hear the excitement and the enthusiasm that's in the house of the Lord today over his word. How many of you are excited about hearing the word of the Lord today? So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 18. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to hang with me today because I believe that this is a timely word. I believe this is a word that's going to get into your spirit and it's going to challenge you in some ways that maybe you haven't been challenged in a while. And as you're turning there, I also know that the Bible says that this is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. That means sometimes we have to rejoice when we cannot find gas. Sometimes we have to rejoice when the political climate is all crazy. Sometimes we have to rejoice when we're on top of the mountain, when we're in the valley. You see, some days are mountaintop days. Some days are valley days, but every day is a day to rejoice. Do I have any rejoicers in the house of the Lord today? I promise you this will go easier and we'll get out earlier if you're preaching back to me. Here we are in this series called Touched, where we've been looking at for the last several weeks where Jesus does these incredible miracles where he just reaches out, Dwayne, and he touches someone. And because of that miraculous touch, there is this physical manifestation of a miracle. But I hope by now that you've noticed that as we are investigating these miracles and we're peeling back the layers of these miracles, that it just, it just seems like that, that, that Jesus is, is less concerned with the display of his divinity and more concerned with the lesson of identity. Because the people who receive this miracle touch also are the recipients of a brand new identity. And I don't know if you've grabbed this so far from this series, but when we begin to live who we are in God, that's when God will begin to do things that exceed our wildest imaginations. He will do more than we ask, seek, or imagine because that is who God is, his power that is at work within us. But today, today's narrative, there's a little something different about this narrative than the others that we've looked at. In fact, there's a shift in the narrative Someone look at your neighbor and say, shift. Look at your other neighbor and say, shift happens. You need to enunciate that very, very, very carefully. (laughs) But there is a shift that happens in this narrative because in all of the others that we've looked at, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches someone and there is this miracle. But in this particular setting, Jesus doesn't reach out his hand. He commissions us to reach out ours. How many of you know sometimes we don't need a message that's going to just tickle our ears. We need a message that's going to challenge our hearts. Today's going to be one of those messages. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that. So you can leave now if that's going to be a problem for you. Just kidding, don't leave. Let me read a couple of verses just to establish some direction that we're going in. I'm going to skip down to verses 13 and 14 because this will establish some direction. And then we'll pause and 
kind of use this narrative as a learning lab, but here's what happens in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all of the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. It is the very first part of this verse. I have heard many reports. I need somebody to circle that in your Bibles. I have heard. I have heard. Here is Ananias who has heard all of this stuff about Saul. And because he's heard all of these things about Saul, he's created a narrative in which he is living by because he's heard these things about Saul. And he begins to list these things about Saul, that he's this treacherous murderer. He's a persecutor of of God's holy people. And now he's spreading that persecution to a place called Damascus. Ananias is talking to Jesus and he says, Lord, I have heard the report. In other words, what Ananias is saying is, God, what I have heard is contradicting what you were telling me to do. This particular story, this, in, in fact, verses 13 and 14, really become an illustration of our faith. Because Ananias is really not willing to do what the Lord is telling him to do because of a narrative that he has heard. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. What what is faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. You see, the enemy knows that what we listen to becomes the portal to our spirit. Ananias says, Lord, I have heard the report. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I have heard. Look at another neighbor and say, I have heard. How many times have we allowed what we've heard to keep us from doing what God said? How many times have we allowed what we have heard to keep us from experiencing what God has? How many times have we allowed what we've heard to create a narrative and to form an opinion within us that becomes greater than the word that God has given us? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. So here is Ananias in this story, and it's a, he's one character, he's a small character in this story, but yet here is Ananias, a small character in the story, but were it not for what Ananias is about to do, we might not have experienced almost two-thirds of the New Testament. So Ananias is having a conversation with Jesus, an emotional conversation with with Jesus. And anytime we have emotional decisions to make, we tend to ask ourselves two questions. What do I believe? And what shall I do with what I believe? What do I believe? And what shall I do with what I believe? Grab those two questions because really, to be honest with you, it's how we respond to those two questions that determine how we respond to God's word. What do I believe and what shall I do about what I believe? Those two questions will determine how we respond to God's word and any word for that matter. Let me back up in this story and give you some context to that conversation that is happening between Ananias and Jesus. So let me take you back to verses one and following and let me read a few verses and we'll just work our way through this. Is that all right? Is that all right today? Here's what happens in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He, He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that 
If he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Hold on a second. So as he enters Damascus, a light flashes around him. Here we have the story that is unfolding. We can see that Saul is this murderous, this treacherous person who's persecuting the church. In fact, it says that he's going after anyone who's in the way. Early Christ followers were called the way because Jesus is known as the way, the truth, and the life. He is a way maker. And therefore, he's persecuting those people. He's killing those people. He's throwing those people in, in prison. And, and so he's on his way to Damascus. And on the journey to Damascus, God, in a way that only God can, he uses a supernatural prop called lightning. And bang! Saul falls off of his horse. Saul can't see, but Saul is talking with Jesus, and he doesn't realize who he's talking to. God has a, just an incredible way to illustrate a sermon. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, he uses some incredibly divine props, and we preachers try to replicate that. We preachers try to use props in order to convey the message in God's word. Someone one time said to me, they said, why do you use so many props, James? They said, why do you use so many props when you're preaching? I don't use as many as I once did. But I, I, I said to them, well, let me tell you why I use so many props. Because preachers have the daunting task to articulate the word of God that far exceeds, in many cases, our ability to understand. In fact, his word says that sometimes it's unexpressible because his word says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so many times we use an illustration that will bring a point home because if we didn't use the illustration or the prop, you might miss the message. So here is Jesus using an illustration or a prop called lightning to change the conversation that Saul is having with himself. Hmm. In fact, I wrote a few of the, of the props that I have used throughout the years. This is not an all-inclusive list, but I want to bring this point home. Here's, here's some of the things that I've used. I've used a hammer. I've used nails. I've used a parachute. I, I went skydiving one time. I, I, did, I used basketballs. I've used baseballs. I've used footballs. I've used softballs. I've used basketball goals. I've used stress relievers. I, I've used seesaws on the stage. I had a car one time on the stage. I used post-it notes. I've used swords. I've used water. I've used I've used water balloons. I've used water bottles. I've used water in vases. I've used gates. I've used boxes. I've used doors. I've used punching bags. I've used mirrors, magnifying glasses, 3D glasses, sunglasses, Christmas trees, fishing poles, and $100 bills. Y'all missed that $100 bill day. I was like, Oprah. I was like, you get 100, you get 100. Everybody gets 100. And we're not going to do that day over. <laughs> But it's the props. It, it's, it's the prop. Jesus used a prop because the prop many times will bring our attention to what it is that we need to hear. And so he was using the prop of lightning. Bang! Saul falls off of his horse in order to change the conversation that Saul was having with himself. In fact, let me show you. Look at verse 4. Everybody say verse 4. Verse 4, it says, 
he fell to the ground and he did what? He fell to the ground and he, he did what? He heard. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hold on a second. He fell to the ground and he heard. He had been hearing one thing. The one thing that he had been hearing for quite some time is to kill Christians. But now he's hearing the voice of the Lord. And he says this. He says, who is this? Look at verse 5. Put verse 5 up. It says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Think about this with me for a moment. Think about the motive of Saul. Saul's motive was to extinguish the early church. Saul's motive was to take the message of Jesus Christ and to make sure that he arrested anyone who believed in that message so that no one would follow that message so that at the end of a certain era that Christianity would be gone. Now Caiaphas, the high priest, has given him a greater mission. And he said to him, Dwayne, he said, I want you to go to Damascus because the way is growing. He said, okay, give me some letters and I'll go. And anyone that I see, I'll jerk them out of the house. I'll pull men and women and children out of the house. I'll put them in prison. We'll kill them if need be. That was Saul's motive. But I don't know if you know this or not, but God's message is always greater than anyone's motive. I don't know if you know this or not, but God's mission is greater than anyone's motive. You see, Saul had chosen to extinguish and to decide against Jesus, but Jesus had decided for Saul. I don't know if you're grabbing this. Saul had chosen to extinguish the mission of the church, but the mission of the church and the mission of God was greater than Saul's motives. What I'm trying to say to you is it doesn't matter a person's motives who are coming against you. God's mission is greater. Y'all can thank me for that one later. (laughs) So here you have Saul who has this motive. He falls to the ground. He's, He's fearful of what he's hearing because now he's hearing something that he hasn't heard before. And and he says, who is this? And, And Jesus says, I am the Lord. Now, this is something that Saul would have probably have understood. And the reason for that is because up until this moment, Saul thought he was doing the work of the Lord. Up until this moment, he thought he was working for God. But at this moment, God tells him, you haven't been working for me. You've been persecuting me. You haven't been working with me. You've been fighting against me, he says. He found out at this moment when he hears the voice of the Lord that he's not been working with God, but he's been fighting against God. How many of you know, I think sometimes we think we're serving God, but we're really not. And they're getting quiet all up in God's house. I told you I need you to help me. Preach back to me today. Our faith has become like everything else. Our faith has become our personal preference. It's how we prefer. It's how we prefer to worship. It's how, when we prefer to worship. It's a, it's, a, it's a God that we've created. We're going to create this God because this God we feel comfortable around. And so we, we go to church when it's convenient. We, we, we serve when it's convenient. We give when it's convenient. We love when it's convenient. We forgive when it's convenient. And if you look at it that way, that means convenience is your God. Lord have mercy. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Let me put it in a spiritual term. 
because what Saul is doing really, Saul is, he's kind of, he thought he was working with God, but he's fighting against God. You know why? Because Saul has become judge. That's what Saul is doing. He's going around judging other people. I know we don't have anybody in this place that judges anyone. If you've never judged anyone, raise your hand. One time my grandmother, God rest her soul, she was having a conversation with me and she said, Mark, what do you believe the greatest sin in all the world is? Well, this is my time to shine. I began to articulate. I was dropping dimes and making rhymes and she was like, nope, nope. She said the greatest sin in all the world is when a person judges another person. And I said, explain that to me. She said, when a human being becomes judge, he removes the creator from the throne and he places himself upon it. And the created has no knowledge or ability to understand the ways of God. And therefore, the way they judge is to divide people. Because human beings don't understand love the way God does. Mm. Human beings don't understand forgiveness the way God does. Human beings don't understand grace the way God does. So here we have Saul who's doing all of this. And anytime you see throughout history anyone who, who tends to persecute others, they think that they're doing the work of God, but Saul's not. He's finding out right now you're not doing the work of God. And so he says, who is this? Who are you? He says, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. I, I love this question. He says, who are you? Do you know from this moment, I don't have time to expound upon this thought, but from this moment on, Saul becomes Paul. And if you were to follow Paul's life, from this moment on, the thing that he wants most out of life is knowing who Jesus is. In fact, one of the last books that he writes while he's awaiting execution, he's in Rome, he writes a letter to the church at Philippi. Verse, chapter 3, verse 10, here's what he says. You look this up when you get home. I don't have time to really t tell you to turn to it at the moment. But here's what he says. He says, here's what I found out as I've gotten older. I just want to know who Jesus is. I just want to know who Jesus is. The message translation says it even differently. The message translation says that Paul says, I threw off all of that other inferior stuff in hopes that I would know Jesus Christ more. How powerful is that? I threw off all of that other stuff so that I would know who Jesus is. Can I tell you what makes the enemy nervous in your life when you know who Jesus is? Because when you know who Jesus is, you'll know who you are in Jesus. And when you know who you are in God, you don't have to accept someone else's opinion. You don't have to prove who you are. You see, you won't have to post something in order to prove something. And you won't have to listen to someone else's opinion about yourself because they didn't make you. They didn't create you. They didn't knit you. They didn't form you. They didn't bleed for you. They didn't die for you. Only Christ can establish your identity. Let me keep going. Verses 6 and following. I'm going to read a few verses. Hang with me. Verses 6 and following. It says this. 
Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Oh, wow. There's some parallels to Jesus being in the tomb. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Hold on a second. We really don't know anything about Ananias. There's not any verses prior to this about Ananias. There's not any verses after this about Ananias. We don't know anything about him. In fact, one theologian says that he's nothing more than an ordinary Christ follower. Isn't it amazing that God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? And he gave him instruction. He said, I want you to go to the house of Judas. It's on Straight Street. I want you to ask for the man named Saul who's from Tarsus, and I want you to touch him. Somebody say, touch him. I want you to place your hands upon him. Here again is an ordinary man who God is asking to do something that will cause extraordinary things to happen. Here is a man by the name of Saul who will become Paul, who's been persecuting the church, whom everyone tries to avoid because he's trying to extinguish the ministry of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is choosing to use him in order to expand the gospel. Do you think the church would have accepted Saul? That's why we have verse 13. That's where Ananias is at when the Lord comes to him. And Ananias says, well, 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 Lord, Lord, I've heard a report. In fact, I've heard a bunch of reports. Lord. And when Ananias says Lord in verse 13, it's not a term of endearment. He's not saying, oh, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. No, no, no. It's one of those southern colloquial things like, Lord, have mercy. Why are you asking me to do this? I have heard a report. You see, he's created this narrative around the report that he's heard, and he's now beginning to question whether or not Jesus is saying. I wrote this down this morning. It's not even in your notes. This is free, so I'm not even going to, you know, you can't be charged for something that's free. Here's what I wrote down. Sometimes we don't even hear the things that we claim we hear. We just form a narrative as to make us feel comfortable as to why we are not acting. Let me say that again. Sometimes we don't really hear the things that we claim that we hear. Or sometimes we tell ourselves things that makes us feel better about not acting for the cause of Christ. You see, if you were to really look at this, Ananias says, I, I've heard some reports. If you were to really look at it, Ananias is not only trying to discredit Saul, but he's trying to get himself off the hook. And do you blame him? I think sometimes we're like Ananias. 
you know, he's having a conversation with Jesus, and he's like, oh, come on, Jesus. Listen, you, I've heard some reports about this dude. This dude's crazy. Now, I'm just telling you, he's been killing people. Everybody says that he was present when Stephen was stoned, and Stephen was your homie, and Paul or Saul was over there talking about, hit him again, kill him. He's killing people, Jesus. Don't you understand that? And I don't know about you, but I like to live. I know you've got something that you can come up from the grave. I don't know if I can do that, so I want to live. I think you got this all messed up, Jesus. It's like Ananias is giving God a counseling session. <laughs> like you, you don't have this thing figured out. But then the more that I look at Ananias, I see ourselves. It's like God will speak something into us, and we like, we're like, but I have heard. You know, God says to give, and you're like, but I have heard that the economy is going to take a downturn, and so I need to put some money in savings. I have heard, you know, God says, serve. But I have, God, you know, you know, listen, God, you know I love to serve. Serving is in my heart. But, but listen, you know my schedule too. And so it just makes it so much easier if I can just, you know, go to church and hear a message. God says, forgive. And you're like, oh, but God, that's just so much work. Why do you want me to forgive that person? Don't you remember what that person did to me? I have heard. How will we ever know what God is capable of doing in our lives if we continue to talk ourselves out of what God is trying to do? Lord, have mercy, that's good. How will we ever know what God is capable of in our lives if we continue to talk ourselves out of what God is trying to do? Here God is using someone who is ordinary to do something extraordinary. God is trying to promote some of you from the ordinary to the extraordinary, but you're losing the ordinary battle in your mind. And it's time for you to stop letting the enemy tell you who you are when God created you to be who you are. Ananias and everybody who came before Ananias would have discredited Saul, but Jesus chose him because Jesus knew his identity. He knew the very fabric of his heart. He knew how he would use him to expand the gospel. For Ananias, this was not comfortable. Man, I don't want to go knock on that door. I don't want to go to Judas's house and say, will you tell Saul of Tarsus to come out and I'm going to put my hands on him? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That don't even make sense. How many of you know sometimes God asks you to do things that don't make sense? Better yet, God will confront the comfortable places in your life. You know why? Because God didn't call us to be comfortable. God called us to be comfortably uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Grab that. So we've got to change what we're listening to. We've got to change the conversation I have heard. We've got to begin to listen to what God is saying to us. We've got to begin to have conversations with ourselves that say, I know I'm going through a difficult season, but my destiny will overcome my difficulty. You see, for some of you, you think blessing means that everything is smooth and nothing will be required of you. But can I tell you something this morning? Blessing requires sacrifice from you. And when you are willing to make that sacrifice, God will do things that you cannot take. 
take credit for. It takes courage to stay in the fight. It takes courage to stand in the storm. It takes courage to win. It takes courage to go to a place that you've never gone before. It takes courage to hear God say give when you don't feel like you've got enough for yourself. It takes courage to go when you feel like staying. It takes courage to get out of a boat. It takes courage when you are tired, but you've got to remember what you've heard, that he'll give you rest. So come unto him. It takes courage when somebody else tells you that you cannot do it. All you need to remember is that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Who's going to get up on your feet and begin to give God a praise up in this place? Good God Almighty. It takes courage. You've got to change what you're listening to. Somebody say, I have heard. You've got to change what you're listening to because what you're listening to is controlling the steps of your life. Let me read three more verses, three more verses, and then I'm going to close. And I promise I'm going to close in a minute. Stay on your feet. Here's what it says. So Ananias in verses 13 and 14, he's like, I've heard this report. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, but the Lord said. Okay, Ananias, I heard you, but go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Somebody say touch. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. Saul became Paul because Ananias was willing to touch him. Who are you touching for the cause of Christ? Who are you touching for the cause of Christ? Because had this event not happened, we wouldn't have the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Were it not for Paul, the gospel would not have been spread throughout all of the earth. Who are you touching for the cause of Christ? 